0: Joan What now. Okay, now you changed the name of your group. What do you call it? We are now called the Wisdom Seekers. The Wisdom Seekers is our new euphemism for old ladies. (laughs) No, you know they they used to call it they, they used to refer to themselves as widows, but there were no guys showing up and it really kind of defeated the purpose. So now they're trying to get some of you old guys there too. And so they're the wisdom seekers, and I'm going to speak, right? Next. Speak. When is, when it's is that? It's open to everybody. So is that good? Next Sunday, Next Sunday 2 o'clock, prayer. in the prayer room. Great. Joan is our resident Toastmaster, so she just won't let me get away with it. So 2 o'clock next Sunday in the prayer room, everyone, I want you all to be there in the prayer room. And what am I speaking on, Joan? I haven't told you yet, so I'll be speaking on something. So let's all cram into the prayer room next Sunday at 2 o'clock. All right. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. As we're going through the book of Galatians, finishing up the last few verses of chapter 2. We're going through some changes at home because we just moved back into our old house, and there, were, there had been about 20 single guys living in it, and, and so it's not quite Anne-friendly yet. And so we're doing a, lot of, doing a lot of little things, and one of the things, we had this closet in the living room, right in the middle of the living room. It was really a bad design, and you look at it and think, yeah, it should be easy to knock this closet out. So I started dinking around with it and it turns out there's about 500 wires in the walls and, and I had it all ripped apart. I'm covered in dust and, and boards are falling down, nails everywhere. Took two truckloads to haul the stuff away, but I was in the middle of it and all these wires are hanging down and I'm starting to clip them and you know by faith and and uh, <laughs> one of my sons said, "Dad, have you talked to Steve Bailey about this yet? Because I think he figured Steve would know how to kind of do it. And I go, no, I'm going to do this myself. So, but it was quite a mess, but it's pretty cleaned up now. But sometimes our lives are that way. Before you build something, you have to tear it down. Demolition comes before construction. And it's true in our lives as much as it's true in in a revamping a, a building or a place where you live. And I think for a lot of us, because we've never completely discovered that demolition process that God wants to do in our lives, we've never actually entered into the joy that he wants us to have. Here in, in these verses, Paul talks to the Galatians about the fact that death comes before life. You know, Jesus over in John 10, verse 10, he was talking about being the good shepherd and he, he said... He said, the reason I came is so that you would have life, and that more abundantly. That's an extreme word of, I want you to have the best life. It's, it's life like you've never known it before, and that's the heart of our Lord. That's what he wants us to experience, is this great and vibrant life. And yet, so often, we walk around as Christians like walking dead people. We in our lives, if you want to find a building that has people who are really alive, how often would you honestly say, oh, go to the church, that'll be good. Because so often we're sitting here like we're dead. Life is killing me. Well, in this passage, we see a death. But it's a death on the cross. It's crucifixion. And how we are to identify with it. And then look at how many times Paul uses the word living or life As we look through these verses, beginning with verse 19 For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Verse 20 is without a doubt, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Certainly one, I know I say that a lot, but it's one of my top 10 favorite verses, hands down. Just the glorious description of what happens when we die and then we come back to life, not with a life of our own. But, you know, Paul has been talking here about the law. And he, he points out that what the law does, what rules do, is it shows you what a mess you are. It shows you that you need help. That's why the law was given. And going through the whole book of Galatians, you see that theme over and over again. You also find it in in Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, reading through these verses, if you'll go and do some homework and read Romans 6, 7, and 8, you'll see this entire theme developed in this passage as well. But here in verse 19, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. What he's saying is the law pretty much killed me. When I saw the conviction, when I saw the inability to keep the law, I realized I needed help. And yet Jesus Christ came along to fulfill that law on my behalf. And I realized that life sprung forth from the very thing that was killing me. And so I don't look at the law and go, oh, the law is bad. No, it's not bad. It did what it was supposed to do. Even as for us, our conscience and nature itself and everything in this life that tells us that we can't measure up. It's, on the one hand, it's bad because it kills us. But on the other hand, it's good because it shows us we need help. And so when it does what it's supposed to do, it sets me up for the gospel. It prepares me for the good news that, that Jesus Christ took care of it. But then he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, we know about the crucifixion of Christ. We know that Jesus Christ came to this earth and, and lived a perfect life and ultimately was nailed to a cross and died. And we understand that the Bible says he did that for us. But there's something more that's happening here. It's not just Jesus died for me. But in the context, talking about the role of the law, it's realizing that, you know, something of me died on that cross as well because he took my sins on him. As Isaiah put it in my favorite chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so who I am was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Now you go, wait a minute, I don't like that. It's like when Paul says that we're to be living sacrifices. Oh, I don't want to be a sacrifice. Is this, what is this, Jonestown? Are you about to have us drink the Kool-Aid? No. It's, now, if you're Jim Jones, you can make people die, but you can't make them live. The thing that Jesus Christ did is he died first And he rose from the dead and taught us that death isn't the end. Death is only a beginning. And so as Jesus rose from the dead, so we rise, he gives us a new life. But understanding what it is to die is the door that we pass through in order to discover what it is to truly live. And I'm convinced that so many of us are walking around like dead men walking Because we're carrying the burden of the law. We're lugging around the weight that was only supposed to tell us that we needed help. And once we learned that lesson, it could all be dumped on him. It could all be nailed to the cross. And yet for us, I'm still carrying that weight. I'm still lugging death around with me. Hey, I am crucified. I have been crucified crucified with Christ the King James said I am crucified this is a better translation in this case because it's in the perfect tense perfect passive actually it's something that happened to me and it happened in the past and it's a completed action not an ongoing thing it's not like oh I'm being crucified constantly any more than he is being crucified constantly but when he said on the cross it is finished he meant it it was done it was over And my death has happened already. Well, I don't know if I like that. Tough. If you're a child of God, that's happened. The good thing is, no more death. The good thing is, you've already risen to a newness of life. It's what the imagery of baptism is about. It's being buried and now being risen from the dead. If you don't like that, ask Lazarus how it felt. After being dead for three days... Oh, he got sick, and they called for Jesus. Jesus was a good friend of Lazarus and his two sisters, and they called for Jesus, and Jesus showed up, but too late. Lazarus had been dead for three days. Lazarus there in the tomb, grave clothes wrapped around him. It was all over, end of the road for Lazarus, until the next thing that he heard was Lazarus come forth as Jesus shouted and everything shook and everyone was amazed and here comes Lazarus bouncing out of the grave. Now imagine what Lazarus's life was like after that. It talks about people threatening Lazarus. What are you going to threaten him with? Well, I'm going to kill you? Been there, done that. Doesn't matter. It'd be like if somebody said to me, you know, I, we saw on, I think it was on uh, Survivor one time where they had this one challenge where you could get a shortcut to the finish, but you'd have to shave your head. And this poor gal is there struggling over, do I want to shave my head? You know what? Piece of cake for me. I, I wouldn't care at all. I'd, I'd probably do it for a nickel because it's already been done. Good thing about losing your hair. You don't worry about losing your hair. It's the same thing with death. If you've already been dead, you don't worry about it so much. You go, it's not a problem. I've already been there. And that's the kind of freedom that God wants us to have, to say, you know what? The worst thing you can do is kill me, but I was killed 2,000 years ago on the cross. I've been crucified with him. All of my life is right there. And he goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. The King James actually, I think, has a better translation in this part of the verse, where it says, nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's a a more faithful rendition of the syntax here, in my opinion. At any point, it means the same thing. He discovers it's no longer I. How do you know when you've really died? It's not about you anymore. It's not, see, all of our life we're struggling to try to do something, to accomplish something, to be someone, to impress people. And that's what the law does. It puts this challenge before you. And I want to be the best. Eventually, you find out, you know what, I'm not going to win this deal. This isn't working out for me. And so you allow yourself to be dead and then you go, hmm, it's not me anymore. I feel... The same in some way, but there's this regeneration that happens. Is, Jesus called it a new birth. There's this work that happened, and I'm just not quite the same anymore. It's me, but it's not me. Something is missing. And what's missing? The burden of the law. The, the carrying of sin, the taking responsibility for yourself, the, the drive to be the best, to be the biggest and the brightest. Hey, that all melts away and all of a sudden I feel like, you know what? I've been trying so hard. I've been laboring under the burden of trying to measure up. I I've been trying to please people. I've been trying to please God. I've been trying to please the the future of the legacy that I'm going to leave. I'm I'm like, ha, ah, I can't do it anymore and it's weighing me down and it's it killed me. But now what's going on? I'm still alive, but something's missing. what's missing is that burden, that death that we were lugging around, those things, those expectations that were killing us, that feeling that I have to be good enough, that understanding that I just need to follow a bunch of rules, it's not me anymore. And when it's not about me, if instead it's about the Lord and it's about Him working in me, it gets a lot easier. But I feel, so what? It's not about me. I'm dead. Dead people don't wish for things. You can't tempt them. You go into a morgue and there are bodies laid out there on slabs. You can come in and some of those people haven't eaten in quite a while. But you wave a donut in front of their face or, you know, you get out a double-double with grilled onions and, you, you know, you don't see anybody in there, <laughs> Whoa, what's that? In and out. I, no, it's, they don't care. And they could have had the loneliest life, but you could take out a picture of a gorgeous woman and go, hey, what do you think? I'm dead. So many of these things that we live our life for, if we understand, we're dead. It's like, wow, I don't have the same needs and desires and lust because now it's not about me. It isn't about I anymore. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That is one of the heaviest concepts. The idea that Jesus Christ is living in me, over there in the first chapter of Colossians towards the end of the chapter 27, chapter 1, verse 27, Paul talks about this mystery. And he said, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it is mysterious indeed. You mean, I died somehow. And now I'm alive and he's living in me? That's mysterious. Sounds really weird almost. It sounds like something that couldn't possibly be true. It almost sounds like reincarnation in a way. Oh, I die and I come back to life with Jesus in me? It sounds like possession. It's, I died and now I'm possessed by Jesus? Exactly. Exactly. You're possessed by Jesus. You belong to him, and he is alive within you. And I could give you verse after verse where it talks about this, and yet it's always treated in such a way that it is kind of mysterious. It's difficult to understand. But I have it on his word. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What does that mean? Now he wants to live in me. And when he enters my life, It changes the very nature of who I am. My mom used to drink tea a lot. The way you make tea, you heat up water, at least the way she made tea, and you take a bag, just a weird, gross-looking bag of weeds, and you dip it in the water, and all of a sudden, it's tea. You place the bag in the water, now it's not water anymore. Very few people drink hot water, you know, on a, on a day when you're just like, boy, I could really use some refreshment, so can you, do you have some hot water? Like, I'm going to get a drink out of the hose, but I'm going to drink right away while it's the hot part that's been sitting in the hose. <laughs> we don't do that. But when Christ is placed within our lives and he begins to saturate everything that we are, he makes himself at home in our life, we become something different. We become something radically different than we were before. And that's what the law can't do. The law can't be within us unless God puts the law within us. And of course, that was the promise of the new covenant. As God explained through Jeremiah, that new covenant, I'm going to place my law within your heart. How? By putting Jesus in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the only hope. The only way we're ever going to become anything different than we are is if we die, if our old man, all of our sin, all of our garbage, all of our issues are nailed to the cross, paid for, forgetting, forgetting, forgiven and forgotten. That's a new word I just made up. And if that happens, great. If not, we're doomed to an outward law that will only kill us. And that will only destroy us. And that's what Paul has been trying to drive home. In the context, he had addressed Peter for being a hypocrite. For not making it absolutely clear that the law doesn't save us. That it's by grace that we're saved. And as he goes through explaining it, we get this incredible verse. That tells us that if we can only die to ourselves... If we can only understand that every area in which we failed was nailed to the cross. Now it's not about, are you good enough? It's about, I want him to come into my life and change me from within. And that's God's grace, and that's what he wants to do. And the only way it doesn't happen in our lives is if we don't let it happen. And in fact, I probably wouldn't even want to go that far The fact is, you're his child. He's going to make it happen. He is going to work in your life in such a way that he almost forces you to recognize that you can't save yourself, that you can't fix yourself, that you can't help yourself. God, as he works in our lives, he does what he's going to do. He wanted Jonah to be a missionary to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to be a missionary to Nineveh. And so Jonah exercising his free will decided to head in the opposite direction and he got in a boat and God said there's more than one way to go to Nineveh you're heading in the wrong direction there's a storm he's thrown out of the boat he gets swallowed by a whale and puked up on the shore and then goes to Nineveh and Jonah was starting to think I probably should have just traveled first class In our lives, it's the same thing. Sometimes horrible things happen to us, and we think, God, why did you leave me here in the belly of the whale? And God goes, well, because I'm gonna finish what I started. He that has begun a good work in you is going to complete it. Oh, we have choices along the way, but ultimately his will works through all of those things in order to bring us where we are because he loves us so much that he will not leave us in defeat. He won't allow us to continue to carry the weight of the law. And so the law will get worse. You live as a young person. You have a lot of strength. You have a lot of abilities and capacities. And boy, you think you can do it. And you come close. But you're not quite measuring up. But what happens is you get a little older. You realize, I'm more of a failure than I thought. I, now I even tell people about some of the victories I had in the past. And they resent me for them. You know, they go, I'm 70 years old and talking about how, yep, I still have some of the track records over at Long Beach Poly High School. And, and they go, oh, really? Let's race. Well, not right now. I can't do it, you know. And more and more, we feel like failures. Life does that to you. And I know it's painful and it hurts, but you know what? It's the best thing that could happen to you if that's what it takes to teach you to die to teach you to let him live in your life, to teach you that it's about him, it's not about you. We need to die. And sometimes when we don't understand that we've died, we need to be reminded of the fact so that when I raise my ugly head of flesh and when I walk in the deeds that I did before I was a Christian, I start to smell like death. I start to realize, oh, this is terrible. And what happens? I look more dead than alive. People can see it. They can tell if you're really full of life or not. Oh, you can kind of fool them. You know, you can, you can get a couple drinks under you and, and imitate some sort of life, but in reality, if they watch you very long, they're going to know what, what's life and what isn't. And that life that he promises, it starts with death. It started with the cross and if you can accept and understand that everything that you aren't is taken care of by him that christ is living in you and that's enough do you don't you just long sometimes to hear an authoritative voice tell you that you're fine you're okay quit trying so hard stop striving Oh, there are so many voices in this world that come from one law or another telling you you're not good enough, telling you that you don't measure up. But don't you want to hear the voice of the Lord saying, I've got it covered. I paid the tab. Your sins, they're nailed on the cross. You don't need to do it anymore. You can play dead if you want, but it's not real. Because I've forgiven you. As we read on, he says, The life that I now live in the flesh, I'm still here. So it's not like I'm in some mystical state. But he said, I live it by faith in the Son of God. Ultimately, it comes down to faith. Do you believe that your sins were nailed to the cross? Do you desire to be dead to the past? Do you want what you were before you came to Jesus, or if you accepted Him at a young age, what you would have become if you hadn't come to Jesus Do you want that to be as far as the east is from the west? Then attach it to the cross. Then accept the fact that that's a done deal. He's done it. Now, the next step after that is to recognize that other people's sins are forgiven as well. That their old person has also died. But if I can't accept it about myself, I'll never be able to accept it about you. Because the law puts us in competition. As long as I'm better than some people, then fine, I'm okay. It's kind of like grading on the curve. That's what we do. We just want to know that we're not as bad as some people. I know when my kids come home from taking a test at college, and I say, well, how'd you do? And they go, I'm not sure. Well, didn't they give you the grade? Yeah, I got the grade. But it's 82, but... Man, a bunch of people got like 60s, so 82 might be an A. That's the best the law can do. Okay, nice job, Mr. Spiritual, Miss Spiritual. You're better than most. But the truth of the gospel is I believe that I died when he did. I believe that when I came to Jesus Christ, crucifixion happened. That when he was nailed to the cross, all my sins were we're nailed there as well. Now I don't have to compete. And now I don't have to measure up. And now, if you don't think I'm good enough, I'm sorry, I'm dead. What do you expect from a dead person? If you think, well, that sermon didn't really minister to me, that's not bad for a dead person, though. Come on, you know? And we begin to show grace to each other and to ourselves because we realize, you know what? Apart from him, I can't do anything but with Him, by faith in the Son of God, I can live. If you've been walking in death, if you've been walking defeated and discouraged and frustrated, that's the law. That's the law that Jesus Christ died to fulfill. And He says, wipe it out. Your guilt is gone. If you have accepted me, if you've come into a relationship with me, That's all the past. Now, maybe you're struggling with some sin in your life right now. We all are. Understand, it's dead. You're still acting like you're alive in that area. But, you know, even if there are things that you did before you were a Christian and now you're still doing them, doesn't it not feel the same? Isn't it not quite as as, uh, fulfilling as it once was? Well, the reason is you're kind of like weekend at Bernie's with your friends carrying you around and you're just, you're dead. And they're moving you and they're, come on, man, party with us, do this. And it's like, you know, I'm just not enjoying this like I used to because I'm dead. And by faith, I accept and understand the fact that that sin was nailed to the cross. He gave me a fresh start. He has forgiven me. He says, when he died, he said, it is finished, paid in full. It's a done deal. And so now this new life that I have of him living in me, I live it by faith. I believe that what he says is true. Now you might go, come on, Dave. Do you really think that Jesus lives in you? I sure don't see it. Yeah, sometimes I don't see it either. But yeah, I believe it. Why? Because he says he does. And by faith, I accept that. By faith, I want to remind myself constantly that when I came up short, when I fell short of what I would have liked to have done, and people aren't happy with me, and people would reject me because of my failure, by faith, I just go, you know, that's something that's dead. It's dead already. When I sin, he's forgiven it already. He paid the price for it already. It's, it's past. It's He doesn't remember it anymore. So I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And here's the key to all of it. It started with the cross, it ends with the cross. But it's understanding personally that God really loves me personally, that he's passionate about me, that if I was the only one to sin, he would have sent his son to die for me. He loves me, and his love was shown when he gave himself for me, when he died on the cross for me. Well, you might not like me, and you may take issue with some of what I do or much of what I do and say, but you know what? It's not going to rattle me because he loves me so much that he gave himself for me, and my focus of my life has to be looking at that. Because if I'm going to walk in newness of life, I need to realize I'm dead to me. I'm alive to him. He's living in me. He is working within me. And by faith I'm reminded of his words where he showed graphically, God commendeth his love toward us or God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here in his love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and Paid for our sins was the propitiation for our sins. That's love. Now, if you look at me, you might not see love. You might on a good day. If so, it's Christ living in me. But if your eyes are on me, I'll disappoint you. If your eyes are on anyone else, they will disappoint you. If you spend too much time looking in the mirror, that will disappoint you. But if you look at Jesus... And every time you get down and discouraged and the law is wiping you out and expectations you're failing miserably, you take that perspective that says looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As the author of Hebrews, after talking about all these heroes of the faith, and said, Man, we're so surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. Let's get rid of the junk, lay aside the sin, the weight that so easily besets us, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He did it all. That's the gospel. And if we look at Him, He'll change us. If we look at everything else, we'll fail. Like Peter, his eyes fixed on Jesus, he walked on water. His eyes looked at the waves, he sunk. It's a choice that we make by faith. Today there are going to be waves around the boat. And when you're out there working, walking on the water, working without a net, hey, there's some scary stuff going on if you look around at it. But if you look at Jesus and your faith says, he loves me, He gave himself for me. He cares about me that much. Keep that perspective. You'll be fine. You'll walk on water. You'll live that life whereby he is inside you and he is working what he wants to do in our lives. He goes on to say, I don't set aside the grace of God. No way. I'm not going to frustrate it. I'm not going to block it. I don't want to limit God's grace. In other words, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Two choices. Do you believe in grace or do you want to live by the law? Now, you might be afraid of grace. A lot of people are because they feel like, oh, no, if I just believe I don't have to do anything, then I won't do anything. No, Paul talked about that. That's, people have always had that idea. Paul said, so what, should we sin that grace would abound? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Anyone who expresses that kind of a desire, I'll tell you what, they really haven't looked closely enough at what Jesus has done for them. If you don't understand how much he loves you, then yeah, you might think, oh, grace, it's dangerous. It's not dangerous at all. It's the only thing that can make the difference for you. Stop trying. Stop trying. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to clean up the outside of a dead body. Quit polishing the brass on a sinking ship and instead realize my only hope is if he works from the inside. And that's grace. And he says, if grace doesn't work, then why did Jesus die? What's the point? If you think you can do this, go ahead, do it. Let's see how good you really can get. But you will end in devastation and failure. Because that's what life does. That's what law does. Grace steps in. And God says, move over and let me take over. I can do this. I love you passionately. I gave myself for you so that you could say, look, here's the receipt. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It says, paid in full. I'm covered. And when you understand that, you'll change. The change will happen so subtly and so automatically and so internally that you'll hardly notice it. You'll be going, man, I remember what it was like to be dead and now I'm alive but I'm different because Christ lives in me. He's doing that work. You show me someone who's walking constantly defeated by sin and I'll show you somebody who doesn't really understand that Jesus loves them and died for them. And if you get a hold of that, if you can wrap yourself around that, everything else will be taken care of. That's a new life. That's what the, the Bible calls being born again. Now, there might be some people here today that haven't accepted Jesus Christ. You can tell everything you do is just dragging you down. You're, you feel like you're dying. You feel frustrated. It's, it's just not what it's supposed to be. Christ isn't in you. That's the problem. And I would encourage you today, just give him that opportunity. Jesus Christ died for you. He paid the price for your sins. You can stop trying, and you can start believing, and he will do what he says he'll do for you. You don't have to walk the aisle pray a fancy prayer you don't have to sign up for anything you don't have to start teaching Sunday school it's just simply within your heart is that what you want do you really right now in your heart of hearts would you just love to unload everything and have a fresh start would you like for him to live within you and fix you from inside if you want that he'll do it he he knows your heart and so if you just, in the, from the depths of your heart, if you just say, yeah, I want that, that's all it takes. You got a fresh start right now. We're about to celebrate communion here at the end of the service. Communion is something that Jesus told his disciples to always do to remember him. Why? Because it's a picture of his death. It's a picture of his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. Oh, some people try to make it more magical they think than what it is and act like oh actually when the pastor prays this is real blood and real body No, it's crackers and juice trust me I saw the guys loading the stuff back there but you go oh bummer I thought it was something really magical it is it's something way more magical than it turning into something else because it speaks of the magic that happens, the mystery that's fulfilled when Christ is living in you. As we partake of the elements that speak to us of Him, we're doing something physical that literally reminds us of something that has literally happened if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ. So whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you just accepted the Lord a minute ago when I was talking to you about it, as you partake of these elements, by faith, understand he is in you. And that means he's working. And if you'll realize that you're dead already and you put your past on him and you set your sights toward the future saying, God, I want to have the best life possible. I want life to be, I want when people look at me, I want them to know I'm really alive. Well, it comes from him possessing you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let him do that work. It's scary, kind of, when you've been fighting for yourself, but you've been losing. It's not working. If the law was working, I would say, hey, great, go for it. Make yourself holy. But communion would have no meaning if we could reform ourselves. Communion only has meaning because of the glorious grace of God. And I don't set aside the grace of God I live by it it's why I can survive it's why I can get up in the morning because I believe what he said that the old Dave died was crucified and that Jesus is living in me right now and the more I focus on his love and grace the more he changes me he doesn't always change me in the areas that I would like him to change me because he has his own agenda And so to me, I might say, well, God, the first thing I want you to do for me is give me a full head of hair. Nah, he goes, you'll have that. You know, the the day is going to come when you're in heaven, either everyone else will be bald or you'll have hair. (laughs) But see, it's not my agenda. I'm dead. So it doesn't matter if what I want him to do is to change this area or that habit or this thing. By faith, I just go, okay, live in me. Go ahead and do what you want. And he is so faithful to know what's best for me, to know what it is that I need right now. And he'll do that change for me and for you if we understand his grace. And the picture that he wants us to remember from his sacrifice is, look how much I love you. Look what I've done for you. It's a fresh start. Every day, what's past is past. I have a life that I want you to live. Live it fully. And so communion is a special time to do something literal, to remind us of something that's even way more literal. It's not symbolic. It's not a fantasy. It's real. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, he lives in you. Oh, glorious truth. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are for the gospel. And Paul just rams it home to us here, the choice between good news and bad news, between death and life, and the miracle that death leads to life. Lord, we want to be as close to you as possible. So God, do the work in our hearts. Fill us with your presence. Lead and guide us. Do whatever you want through us as we partake of these elements of communion. Lord, we want that to be something that's even more real than what we hold in our hands. Show us your love and your glory. Help us to see you clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen.